and welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 3 Internet Module Author Interview of Shitstorm. All right, we just talked about it. <laughs> Fernando Strigotti. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Hello. What I love about your name is that on Twitter, you're like, I cut out all the nonsense. It's F underscore SD. Just like, here's who I am. And just, you know, three letters. That's all you need. I, I, I kind of afford people, uh, try to get to people to spell my surname. It's not going to work. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for writing Shitstorm. I, I do have like, I mean, I, I said the word shit today more than I have in months just talking about this book. So I guess thank you for that. I apologize in advance for all the swearing. <laughs> No, that's, that, that, that's quite all right. Um, something that, that interested me about the book was that the, for the first like two thirds or so of the novel, the pace is sort of uh, relentless. You, you, it mimics sort of the way that we have these conversations about this stuff and mimics the, you know, the subject matter of the, of the cycle of, of, uh, of the titular shitstorms. Um, and then it moves into, into a, a slower pace as we, as we get into the, into the last third. So what's the aesthetic decision there? How do you, how do you like, uh, what's like the, 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 uh, I guess it, it almost feels manic to me, the beginning. How, how do you go about landing on the, the choice to write it like that? The, the first part, you mean that how, uh, okay, let, let me tell you a bit about the story of this book. You know, it was sure originally it was a novel. It was like 80,000 words when I, when I, Oh wow. Yeah, wow. Okay. I, I wrote like 80,000 words and I need, and I, and I, I was doing it for years. I, like I started, I think I started working on it in 2015 or something like that when all these like, um, um, new uh, tribes started to appear online, you know, the men right activists and the Trump supporters mm-hmm. and the Brexiteers. And you started to have this, I, I get the feeling that at least in the Anglosphere, things began to heat up really intensely in, yeah. in that time, you know, around that time. So um, I started to work on an, in a novel and I, I did write a full manuscript of it. And I didn't like the result because it felt... He suffered from too much narrative, you know. I mean, it was like he tried to to have too much plot, you know. And I, I didn't. I wanted to capture that feeling of of being online, you know, and, and that kind of manic pace of of the way that online discussions, um, how how they move, you know. It's, everything seems to be mm-hmm. so fast. I had it for years in a, in my draw in my drawer, and um, uh, in January, I think 2018, I met with the editor of Open Pen, which is Sean Preston. You know, at the time, we were we were in, in, in friendly terms. But I, I wouldn't say we were friends at the time. We are friends now, but he we went to see a football game here in, uh, in Hackney, in East London, uh, a team called Leighton Orient. And he said, oh, listen, mate, I want to start doing these uh, very short books, like around 20,000 words. You know, the, he calls them novelettes, you know, which I find mm-hmm. is, a, is an interesting name. Um, in Spanish, uh, at least in Argentina, we don't think about these terms. You know, this is, this would be a short novel. You know, for me. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, we don't. Because, but because anyway, he wanted to do these books and said, "You have anything?" And you know, just out of uh, bravado, you know, I said, "Yeah, I got this book, which is eighty thousand words, and maybe I can cut it into twenty thousand words, because I think it would it would it would work better. It would probably it would capture that kind of um, intensity." Yeah, I said, why don't you have a go? And I did that. And um, and I did the first version of this shitstorm that you read. It was like all, it was like 100% this, the same pace as the, the first uh, two parts of the, two thirds of the book. Yeah, it was really intense and it became 
relentless. You know, it was like too much. I think even for a twenty thousand words book, it was like excessively uh, too much pace. You know, too much of this like shitstorm one after the other. It felt that it had no density, and I felt without. I don't want to spoil the book for whoever. Listening to this. Oh, you, you can spoil, oh, okay, yeah, spoil we, it. We, okay. we assume that people have yeah, read it. We people already, people yeah. will have read if, oh, they, okay. if they get to this point. Okay, yeah. cool. So I, I wanted to bring it back to real life, you know, in a sense of uh, to, to somehow say, yeah, you know, we have all these online lives now, but at the end of the day, we still live and die in the real world, you know, which is, of course, online life is part of the real world, but there is another kind of material, concrete, tangible world where things are decided, you know, in my opinion. And I wanted to bring it back there. And that's why I, I came back to the story of the, of the hunter at the end. Mm-hmm. I wanted to... Well, this is something that we've talked about a lot during this this uh, internet module where we've talked... We, we've been talking almost exclusively about books that exist largely online is this uh, dichotomy, which sometimes might be a false dichotomy of the real world versus the the fake or, or internet world because people are living more and more of their lives online. And I think like what's evident from the first large, uh, almost characterless chunk of of your book, the, the, the part that just moves through the news cycle is that like those emotions uh, like th- that are attendant to to all of these news stories and to people reacting to them online, like they are very much impactful in the way people do live their lives in the quote unquote real world. So like we don't have solid concrete characters. I mean, you have, you have the, the ciphers for real world characters. That is the Owen, uh, Owen James, James <laughs> and, and, and O'Neill um, who I don't, I, uh, I assume that those are stand-ins for actual people, the way that you have kind of have stand-ins for Ricky Gervais and Mia Farrow. Yeah, they are. They are. And, <laughs> They are, yeah, right. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I have guesses as to who those people are because they exist in America as well. I'm not as familiar with the British press. Like, I think that the uh, it it weds the dichotomy of those of those two worlds by bringing us back to the to the hunter and showing us his his life as it as it uh, you know moves forward in those 15 years towards towards the end of the book. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you are here. You are hinting uh, something that is important. Too. I don't. Yeah, you're right. There is, is, uh, it's a false dichotomy. You know, the the online life and the real life, like I call it, because I don't have any other kind of uh, way. I mean, that's what I call it too. That's what that, that's yeah. just like our, the vocabulary that we that we have, and something it. we've struggled with like all kind of season because, like, uh, you know, especially whether there's like we read snow crash by neil stevenson where there's like literally a second world like the metaverse or just like people who spend their life on like 4chan or 8chan or something like that where it's like how do you because it, it to them it is real life right like it's, it's very it's we've, we've kind of sort of struggled struggled with like how to separate like how to actually define one versus the other in most of the episodes of the season yeah i mean i mean i heard a concept i can't remember where i heard it but i heard people talking about the meat space you know in the sense of flesh and, mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah Sure. And I think that probably that captures um, what I wanted to do because I think even though our lives, online lives, and the life in the real, in the mid space, let's say, they are completely in, intertwined now. There's still, I do think there is an ontological uh, uh, weight in real, in the mid space, in real life that is not the same as online. I think things are still decide in mid space, you know, and this is. Um, it's a, a thing I wanted to capture in the book because I feel there is this sense um, 
especially among people who are very active on social media, that they are uh, they are changing the world on social media. And you can't do it, but as long as you have foot soldiers <laughs> in the mid space, you know, <laughs> and, you, and, 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 and I mean, it's a, this is a complicated matter because there are people who say, okay, yeah, but wait a minute, because social media uh, gave a platform for people who otherwise wouldn't have a platform. I absolutely agree with that. I, I think it can be super useful, and I want to be clear about this in the sense that I'm not against the use of social media. I'm very I got my accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's just that I think that we need to distinguish between individualism, narcissism, addiction to the algorithm, with actually using social media with a purpose, and that when you use it with a purpose, I think there's always this collective uh, enunciation going on, and and. Think about Black Lives Matters in the USA and in the rest of the world. Uh, the feminists in Argentina who, who who really use social media to to mobilize uh, people and actually get abortion rights for the first time in Argentina. That was achieved through the organization that happened online, but with people in the streets. You know, uh, people going million people marching outside of the Congress and and, mm-hmm. and being willing to 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 be out there. You know, so it's a uh, it is useful, but I think still um, policy, politics are decided in the in the mid space, you know, and, and we need to be. I think we need to be clear about this because there are people who think that by tweeting hundreds of thousands of tweets a, a year, they are talking truth to power, and they're not. <laughs> they just they are hooked in this mediated space, and they're just talking to themselves, you know, and, and a very select group of people. That was more or less what I wanted to capture. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm wondering. You know, one thing that I was reading, or one thing I was thinking about while I was reading this was, and I, I think it's also interesting to know that it was a much longer, you know, first draft, first narrative, first version of this, is like how much of this did you feel like you just wanted to explore, and like how much did you feel like you sort of had to? Like there was all this information you saw all these different things going on around you and like being someone who is online like did you feel like compelled like i just this this is all in my brain and i need to get it out of there or is it something that you were just like this is something that like culturally or sociologically like interests me like did you feel like you needed to do this to get this out of your brain or were you more just like curious how this would all play out in the narrative no absolutely i was um very much in, in part of all of this you know and that's why I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the, the book uses a we. Yeah, I'm not positioning sure. myself outside of the of the dynamics and the and the and the, and the, yeah and the way that the, the, the social media works. I I was part of this. I used when when t- when Twitter came out. You know, I was I very active online, and I found wow, this is you know we have this tool. It's amazing. As a writer, come on, suddenly you start to mm-hmm. be an yeah, audience. Yeah. You can experiment with language on Twitter. And I think I didn't realize I became very like, uh, yeah, like sucked into this algorithm. And I, I probably, uh, I began to act much like the characters in the book, you know, being um, prone to these uh, tanks of outrage and, uh, and so on. And, uh, and you know, I mean, all my, my, my meditation on this subject started when I wrote a piece in 2013, which is called... Uh, verified on social media and helplessness, which you can find on a magazine called Minor Literature, which is a magazine I edit, in which I started to think about these dynamics, about the shitstorm and cancellations and so on. Um, I think it was probably uh, uh, inspired by 
one of this uh, guy called Richard Dawkins, who is like a saint. Uh, saint oh yeah, you sure, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He always gets in trouble on Twitter because he <laughs> <laughs> suddenly he says something and he's uh, being cancelled, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I think he doesn't stand that Twitter is uh, the out of context per excellence, you know. <laughs> so he, yeah. he doesn't stand that, and suddenly he's being accused of being a fascist and a. And a, I don't know, racist. I don't think he's a fascist. I think he's just a moron. You know, who doesn't understand <laughs> how Twitter. Well, I, think, I, think, I think he's an old. He's he's kind of an old man who doesn't really understand how the internet works and doesn't understand that absolutely the things that he's saying are going to be like contextually uh, repurposed. Which is interesting because Richard Richard Dawkins is the he's the geneticist who coined the term meme yeah. that has been re- reproduced entirely like as an internet thing, right? And I think what's interesting about that and about the way that you were describing, like when you first joined Twitter, is that I remember when Twitter first started, there was it like, I'm I'm always, you know, I'm not like involved in comedy, but I, I love stand-up comedy and comedy podcasts and stuff like that. So like, I, I sort of, you know, tend to follow comedians. And I remember even back then there was like this debate, like, well, why would I give my jokes away for free? Like there was like an inherent misunderstanding of like what the platform could be. Mm. And I think, you know, the same thing where you're like, oh, this is great as a writer. Like this is, you know, this offers all this opportunity. But I think the overall thing, like with Richard Dawkins, like what you're saying, and just the evolution is like, you kind of have to do the work on Twitter to keep up with like the way to use it. Yeah. Like not even just following the news cycle, but like, oh no, that, like, that's not how we tweet anymore. Following the language yeah. cycle and everything. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. That's I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> a while back, I don't know if you know this, I, I think it's an internet joke, a meme, I know it's called Bofa, you know, you've been, bo- you, you heard that expression? Bofa, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we, we have a talk, we, yeah. we have a friend, Tom, who loves, that. that's his favorite joke in the world. Well, he was Bofa a while back and, and, uh, and I didn't understand the joke either, you know, and I'm a person who is online and when i found the the meaning of the joke i found it incredibly childish but also very funny <laughs> oh yeah no it's both those things exactly it's impossible to to keep up with these kind of things you know and uh you need to be online all the time but th- that's the thing also i my my argument in that piece i wrote the non-fiction essay an essay it was i wouldn't be on Twitter, if I had another platform, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, it's a, for me, being active on Twitter is like a kind of concession of powerlessness, you know, in the sense that where you don't have access to The Guardian like Richard Dawkins has, you know, he every time he gets into an online shitstorm, he ends up writing an opinion piece for The Guardian. You know? <laughs> so still, social media introduced this idea of... Uh, democracy of some kind of erasure, erasure of the hierarchies, but it's not true, you know, it's not true. I think it's a false, uh, it's a false uh, impression, you know, and, and we still need to, as a kind of minorities or you know, people with no necessarily access to um, the spaces of power, we need to think uh, intelligently about how we use these really, um, really mediated uh, medium, sorry to use that, uh, but it's like, uh, it's very mediated, you know, it privileges certain kinds of discourse, you know, and the algorithm sure. loves a shitstorm, you know, when yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, so we need to think about that because it's not a neutral place. It's not like we're sitting in a square, in an agora, like in Greece, you know, the, the pinnacle of democracy, we're all talking in, in equal terms. No, no, it's a very mediated medium. Uh, oh yeah, we're ve- we're very far from the agora. Yeah, no, we're not. Even... <laughs> Imagine that it would be an, an agora with retweets. It would be murder. You know, it's. Um... <laughs> 
Well, I think, you know, like for, for guys like Richard Dawkins, it's like if you have a platform like The Guardian, like just don't be on Twitter. Like why like let that let other people have a voice. And I understand like, you know, the point, like the inherent irony in that or whatever, like there's well, I, think, I, I, I mean, I think what's going on there is that someone like Richard Dawkins is feeling the the hurt of a declining readership in, sure. in traditional media. And he's yeah. looking at people who have two million Twitter followers and he's he's realizing that they actually have a larger voice than he does. Sure. And so, he also wants the dopamine hit of like, oh, I got 100 retweets in the first two minutes or, or whatever. Or the dopamine hit of I got 100 people telling me they're going to kill me. Yeah. Some people feed on that as well. Absolutely. I think there is a lot of that. There is a, it's, a, it's a very addictive like uh, it, 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 because it clearly awards uh, you know, like, uh, it gives you, like, if you were a Boy Scout and they give you all these, like, medals, you know, Twitter is like that. All the time you're receiving these, like, likes, you know, and people who have a big following, suddenly they, they really think that they, they matter outside of social media, but maybe the, not necessarily. You know, I don't see how, I don't think it uh, it, it translates uh, directly into being uh, relevant outside, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a trap. But but I mean speaking about the the good uses of social media, you know, when I when I, I think I joined Twitter in two thousand ten, um, I think, and uh, when I joined Twitter, it was um, here in the UK we had uh, big student demonstrations and, and it was a moment of a big uh, social unrest because it's when the Tories were elected, and I remember having Twitter on my phone, being a student demonstration. Then I was a postgraduate student back at the time, and I found really useful because there was this hashtag you could follow that would tell you where were the police <laughs> and they were yeah they were doing sure. this like um tactic called kettling where basically they close uh, demonstrators and they don't let you out so there was all this hashtag i can't remember what it was huh but you could follow it to know where they were kettling people so you would avoid those streets uh, and that was probably around the same time as uh, the arab spring and, uh, mm-hmm. and about the same time, a year later, we have the London riots and those were things that were all organized and coordinated over social media. So certainly, I mean, there is a, a social media has a, a potential to affect real life, you know, but once again, I come back, it needs to happen with uh, with foot soldiers. You know, it has to, you know, everyone, I understand that not everyone can participate in a demonstration. There are reasons of... Uh, legality you know there are people who don't want to be exposed because they're going to have it worse there are people who cannot go because they're disabled fantastic you know that, that social media allows you to participate at distance but you still need people willing to go out in streets and to, to put pressure uh, you know in that kind of direct way for, for for whatever happens in social media to be relevant you know yeah for sure um i think i think another another thing that the book does for me is I think it um, correct. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, and I I may be I may have it completely wrong. But I, th- I think the book has kind of a leftist perspective. But even um, among that leftist perspective, there is uh, like significant criticisms of the the vocal media figures yeah. of the left. And I and I'm wondering if that and 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 also I think is is more sympath like as a book that I. Uh, perceive as having a leftist perspective i also think that it is uh somewhat sympathetic to to the media figures on the right who are making largely the same mistakes that the figures on the left are which are mistakes of of context and things like that so i guess what i'm wondering is do you do you think that it's possible for those people to get that right or are they so 
down the hole of confirmation bias or is the, are the subjects just too big and you can't have those conversations at that level because you have to be able to like constantly recontextualize yourself in conversation is it is it possible to have these conversations when there is such a shitstorm happening well okay For, first of all yeah i am a person i would say i'm of, of the left you know um, i want to believe <laughs> i'm of the left i, I i'm a I'm a trade unionist. I, I, I dedicate a lot of my free time to, to trying to organize people in my work. Uh, so I, I'm always been on the left. I'm not necessarily opposed to identity politics in the sense that I think all politics is about identity always, you know, if it's either working class identity or, or like gender or race, or gender, I mean, or race or whatever, it's mm -hmm. always about identity. But I do think that the left has a problem, at least in the Anglophone world, about a certain loss of perspective about materialist, uh, materialism. You know, we need to talk about about issues that affect people in the pockets more. You know, we need to, and I think in the UK now, with apparently they will raise uh, the, the, the electricity and the gas at 300%. So we, we we're not going to have a choice but to bring the conversation there. But I think we lost a bit of the perspective, but also uh, one of the problems I find in, a, in, a, in a current discourse is a, this idea of, uh, of opinion, you know? We, we need to react to events almost at the same time they happen, and we have no sense of perspective, yeah. you know? No sense of, of, oh, wait a minute, you know, before I start, let's say uh, in the book I use the case of a terrorist attack that both the left and the right claim for their own agendas, you know, say, no, suddenly this is a long wolf, Uh, no, actually, no, this is not a long wolf. And both are waiting for this confirmation that, that will tell them that the person who committed the, the terrorist attack is uh, the enemy, you know? Instead, perhaps, of waiting for the corpses to go uh, cold before, you know, and wait and, and, and try to process the, the, the pain and the tragedy of the loss of life, I think we have a problem in the left in the need to react... Um, live to this event the right has it but i have no i have no problem with the right having problem that's their problem it's not mine but i do think yeah. that this um there is like this new figure of a, of a new sophist in a way which are the opinion uh, piece uh, writers who are grifters you know like this owen james in my in my in my, in my book there is a brandon o'neill who is the one on the right is We are being, uh, many of our ideas and our political ideas are being almost like influenced by these opinion pieces that have no density, you know, they just, and they change from one week to the other. And I think we got a problem there in the, in the, in the, in the, in, the, in that kind of uh, uh, environment or, or I kind of find, I want to use another word. We have like a constellation. That's where I want to find where we have opinion pieces, writing, uh, writers, people, Making up, having opinions about every single thing that happens in the world live at the same time, and we all lost in this uh, need to to communicate all the time live, um, and, and we're not thinking, you know. And, and, and when do we think? We need to, when, to think. You need to take a step back and slow down. I feel, you know, and, and, and sometimes you cannot think for a couple of days after something really big happens, you know. Um, for sure. Someone said on Twitter. I can't remember who said it. Uh, It was a while about some Twitter user said, 
Some people think they are the foreign embassy of some country. They have to condemn <laughs> every single event that happens, you know. And, and I don't think we should. I, I don't think it's useful, you know. Yeah. To- I think one thing that your your book captures really well is what you were just talking about about like how everything seems like it's the most important thing in the world when sometimes it is like a terrorist attack, but also sometimes just like, okay, so like a rich white dentist killed to protect a lion, like that's, you know objectively terrible but also doesn't impact almost anybody right like it's a very different thing on a different scale absolutely but i'm i'm wondering if in your opinion like can and like i think this is all just like you know predicated by the fact that like the, the shit storms and how they sort of play out on twitter do you think like twitter as a platform can be saved like can we can we rescue twitter like, can it become good again? like can it can we do it better or is it like down a rabbit hole that there's no recovering from oh. That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know if it can be saved, but I certainly do believe that that it can be used in more in less harmful ways. You know, for for ourselves uh, as as people, in the sense that uh, I don't think you need to broadcast every single fart that crosses your head. You know, <laughs> you can you can be more selective. You can. It's a very useful platform to share. Uh, work you know like I, I most of my tweets are now from my newsletter or from uh, um, sure of things that I that I find interesting or the magazine I edit you know I think it's a very useful way I do talk a lot via direct message I, f- I feel it's a very useful way to communicate to people I, um, you know I know that some people find it creepy I don't know I, I'm open to, to respond <laughs> no, to, I, I, to I, I think there's something about it like what we were saying before that like there are right not I don't know if it's like objectively right, but there are like right ways to use it and wrong ways to use it. But it does feel like what we were saying before that like you kind of have to do more and more work to create not even like an echo chamber, but just like I don't need to deal with this toxicity, like the trending topics or like your friend liked this tweet. It's just like I don't want to see any of that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean I, I I'm I'm very like with Twitter. I think I follow I don't know like 150 people. I'm, I mostly I know all of them in person in the sense that. Sure. I, at some point I was like, doing this I follow back thing, you know, which is nice. Uh, you, you come across as a nicer person, but then you end up with a lot of uncurated shit, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consuming that. Now you can see the way the the social network, Twitter, tries to influence, it tries to, uh, you know, now you suddenly you see not only the tweets that the people you follow to it, but also the tweets I like and the trending mm-hmm. topics and uh, you might like this, they saw this, like... Uh, they need they need you to click, you know, because they they they, they basically they trade on clicks, you know. So, the, and uh, but but I do think um, I got an eleven year old, you know, she's uh, not on Twitter, thank God. But the, it's uh, what comes um, is much more visual, you know. Kids are all on TikTok and, and uh, right, and it feels all Twitter in a way now, you know. Sure does, yeah. It feels very old. And I think that's what I like about it. Like, it's a different, you know, more word-based. It's, I mean, it's, it's what's good and what's bad about it, I think. It's it's what it does. So, I don't know. Yeah, but but then uh, I wonder if new generations will uh, use it differently, you know? Uh, 
Almost certainly, if, I think. Or right? if, if new generations even come to it. Because yeah. you're seeing, you're, I mean, Facebook is getting phased out. I think Twitter probably is next to get phased out. And then Instagram will just keep evolving past But TikTok I think like what, what's and... also interesting about Twitter is that like nothing's really replaced Twitter. Like, like no, that's in, true. In yeah. certain ways, like Twitter replaced part of Facebook and so did Instagram. That's why Facebook bought Instagram because it's like, oh, we see that this is yeah. replacing us to a certain extent. But like the text-based thing, maybe we're just going to move like a post-text world where nobody writes or reads. Like it's going to be it's really going to become idiocracy. I don't know. I don't know. But how old are you guys? What's your age? You... I'm, I'm 39. 39? I'm 34. 34. Yeah. Oh, do you remember before social media when there were all these like, chats, uh, platforms, or even ICQ? Remember something called ICQ? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a messaging app. What, I mean, Twitter didn't really invent the wheel. They just made those places like, open yeah, they publicized publicized it. yeah like uh and i made it i made micro celebrities out of people you know because suddenly you have these tweet stars we call them in argentina people who are not known for any any talent but having like thirty thousand followers on twitter and they can be very influential you know in politics sure. and uh, and uh and i wonder if that same phenomenon can be replicated in another platform i guess so you know influences instagram influences are very big and TikTokers as well. I think there's a degree to which, and I think this this returns to your to your book a little bit. And I talked about this in when when in the episode where we actually talked about about your book, where there is this almost um, like in America, uh, uh, the uh, political philosopher Michael Parenti talks about it, and I guess uh, Adam Curtis kind of gets at some of this stuff in his documentaries. But this idea of a curated reality, where um, the media gets to decide what everyone what everyone sees in a, in a broader sense, and and these things that can only actually be physically experienced by such a small number of people are now being people are being told how to experience them in a much broader way. And Twitter, what 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 Twitter does with things like what you were talking about about the uh, experiential um, feeling of being at a protest and stuff, and having Twitter sort of being able to guide your movements away from police or the Arab Spring, where that, that was essential in communicating to a larger world. Like, Twitter provides, uh, like, almost like a mass curation in, in, in really interesting ways that sort of both enhance and limit the echo chamber, but it really depends on how you learn to use Twitter and whether or not you're someone who journeys outside of the echo chamber to argue or journeys outside of the echo chamber legitimately to grow as someone who who wants to you know 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 the information mm. um and uh i'm struggling to come to a question here um but i think i think it's got something to do with like in the context of your book there are all these situations that it feels like everyone feels the need to weigh in on and each person that's weighing in one of the reasons why it's important for them to weigh in is because they they feel like they're getting their opportunity to curate in the way that like brian williams has gotten the opportunity to curate or richard dawkins has gotten the opportunity to curate um so it's like this t twitter and and the appeal of the shitstorm is maybe like we all are looking for our own opportunity to be like to influence the way other people think about this this thing absolutely i think we can connect this with andy warhol's you know 15 minutes of fame kind of thing you know but it's like 15 retweets uh some it's like in the sense that you feel suddenly you matter you know you get this like oh 40 people like my 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 witticism <laughs> you know oh i matter 
<laughs> but then pe yeah. people don't realize who you are. They don't care. They're not going to read your tweet, your timeline, unless they want to take you down. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. It's also diminishing returns, right? Because like 15 retweets 10 years ago was like, hell yeah. And then now it's like 15 retweets is like, am I even making a dent? Right. What's going on? <laughs> you just need it. Like it's it's le it's legitimately like it mimics the, the like process of like a benzo addiction or something where like you have to like continually up your dosage to get well, higher and well, higher. Well, I think what's yeah. kind of funny is that like, you know, going back to the comedy thing that like several years ago, this comedian Joe Mandy bought a million Twitter followers because he realized that like in, you know, in the world of in Hollywood, like to do TV or movies or just stand up. Or whatever like so many people when twitter was like first really becoming a thing they were like well how many twitter followers do you have he's like well i got a million like oh my god you must have such but they were all bots but like nobody knew what it was and so the evolution of like how people perceive it is just it again you have to do the work to keep up with it yeah i think you know in, in the same uh and even uh, be, being verified on twitter at some point man like mm -hmm. like a kind of uh, uh it was like a kind of uh or suddenly you are verified, and uh, and you are you 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 being validated. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's it's weird. And then there's a backlash to that too. Like, oh, you're a blue check. You're one <laughs> of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you belong to a Twitter aristocracy. You know the yeah. the thing with me. I I was verified. I don't know when. Probably five six years ago. And I didn't well, congratulations. Even, thank you. That was a life achievement. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even. I didn't even request to be verified. My university, where I where I, where I work, I'm a, I teach a unit. Put my name in the um, in the website, and the next day I woke up and I was verified. And I said, "What?" And uh, there was a moment where they were very fine academics. You know, I don't know. They were they had like this really lax uh, criteria, I think, for a while. Well, the people that I personally know who have been verified, one of our one of our close friends is verified, and then he changed his Twitter name and he lost his verification. Mm. He hasn't been able to get it back, which is really funny to us. <laughs> um, but they're they're journalists, and okay. and so like they directly, uh, I know two or three people that are verified, and they're all journalists, and. Like the reason why they're verified is so that like because they're in danger of people impersonating them. Right. Okay. Well, that maybe because at that time I also wrote a few articles for the Guardian, Open Democracy. Maybe they, they I don't know. They, they felt, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Sense. But it was weird. Suddenly I, I wake up and I I see my direct messages. Oh, congratulations! You know, <laughs> people who what are you talking about? I didn't. And yeah, it, it was weird. And and ironically, in uh. In that piece I told you about, about Richard Dawkins, you know, the essay, he says that if I ever was verified, I would quit Twitter because it meant, <laughs> <laughs> it meant that I arrive at some kind of place that it means that I have another platform. I don't have a platform. <laughs> I just verified on Twitter, <laughs> which is a fantastic kind. Probably someone read the article and said, thought, you know, I'm going to troll this guy. I'm going to troll him, see if he really quits Twitter. He can't quit. Uh, he's so addicted. Um, because, because this is another thing I, I, I find uh, fascinating, you know, uh, I want to repeat this. I find dynamics of social media fascinating. Uh, I, I'm very interested in, in that. I spend a lot of time uh, gossiping about things that happen online. And, uh, sure. and one thing that I find fascinating is uh, people who say, especially writers, I don't know if, you, if it happens in the United States, but here in the UK, you have all these people who announce Twitter breaks uh, yeah, I'm gonna take a, a three months Twitter break to finish a novel. 
and they never last more than one day or two. You know? <laughs> well, well, I think it's the same kind of thing. It's just like that they want the recognition that like I'm above this. Like look how <laughs> look how good I am that I don't have to be here with all you slime. <laughs> and then they need to come back. But they cannot help themselves, and you know, and they they suddenly and they always use the same vocabulary like, well, I'm just popping in, you know, to say. <laughs> To tell, talk to you about this book or to, to, to post a selfie of myself is a really weird. It's, well, it's, they love the slime. You know? <laughs> they yeah. love the slime. They, they love it just like we do. Of course. Um, there's something interesting, though, about, you know, because going back to the discussion about the meat space versus the cyberspace, which is that the cyberspace has created this system of currency in which you can be validated. And uh, we don't really have that in the in the quote unquote meat space. Like you can be a celebrity, but it's not like if you're a celebrity, you get a blue check next to your name in, in, in humanity. So, so no, like, they just give you millions of dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's like this. I, I guess it's like, you know, a, a system of, of creating a, a hierarchy or, or like power structure um which is like you know to me i w- when i was a, a younger person and i thought of the internet as utopian i thought the purpose was to get away from that sort of thing to to move to move away from like these these coercive power structures that exist in the meat space because on the internet it's, it's like information is democratized and everybody can you know access things in the same way but no it's like we we're just recreating the same problems that we had in the real world with these blue check marks etc etc yes absolutely um i'm 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 old enough i'm 45 you know to remember when internet seemed like uh, this like pirate land this land of possibilities Mm -hmm. that that was going to actually uh, do away with all the hierarchies of power and so on. And slowly you can see how it's becoming more and more regimental, more similar to the mid-space in the sense that you're absolutely right. More gatekeepers, more checks, more, more things that tell you who people are. I, I guess some of that is, uh, there are also very dark parts of that chaos of the internet. You know, it's very, you can very easily go out of hand. At the risk of boring uh, Bob here to, to tears, like there's something like there's the whole like upcoming like Web3 with like blockchain and crypto and metaverse and everything like that. And like the whole like promise and idea of that is like this decentralization, like no one owns it. It's a space for everybody owned by everybody, whatever. But like what it's becoming is that like a company like, you know, Nike's like, oh, I can make $180 million in selling NFTs. It's like, oh, well, then Nike's that's still like them selling shoes. Like there's. The, the promise of this future where, like, nobody owns everything that, like, it's all, like, pirate radio or whatever, like, that's never going to happen. Like, corporations, like, Facebook or Meta now owning this, like, entire huge space is just like, no, it's still going to be the same thing. It's just, like, in a different format. Like, the 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 possibility is, like, a lie. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing, isn't it? That, 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 that's – it's a lie in, in the sense that we feel – I mean, there was a transference of power from the state to the corporation, you know, uh, in a mm-hmm. way. It's a very like um, interesting libertarian coup, in a way. Um, libertarian, but I mean, like, right-wing libertarian, you know, in the sense that uh, who, do we, who do we allow, allow to control our information, the places where, inter- where we interact? There was a transfer from the state to, to corporations. And, and uh, I mean... For some people, this would be probably something to celebrate. For others, I mean, I, I, I think I, I mistrust the state <laughs> coming from Argentina, you know, with all the things that happened there. But, uh, but I also sure. feel that 
I don't trust corporations either. You know? Yeah, like do you trust Mark Zuckerberg or do you trust Elon <laughs> yeah, Musk? It's like yeah. no, the answer is still no. The, exactly. So, so how do we? The real questions here is how do we build a commons that belongs to the users? And we haven't. I mean, there were some attempts. I don't know if you remember. There was this uh, uh, social media that never took off. Sadly, called I think it was called Diaspora. Was it called? Or no? That sounds familiar. Uh, or uh, right, I can't remember. There was an attempt to make the, this completely decentralized, open access uh, mm-hmm. uh, social media. I can't remember the name. No, but you see, it didn't make a big impact. You know. And, uh, well, I think I think what's interesting about like the the Twitter thing is that like Twitter like basically like the reason that Twitter is successful and like and, and it's not really like they not they don't make as much money as they should is because like it's driven by anonymity and so mm-hmm. like it's this weird combination of like people like Richard Dawkins like known quantities but then also all these like eggs or whatever not our listener egg but like <laughs> but like actual eggs or what I guess I don't think they're eggs anymore but just like people go on there because they can it's sort of 4chan or 8chan ish that they can just yell at celebrities behind the mask of anonymity like it's this weird kind of blurry ground where like no one's happy because no one well, gets... And then, and then and then now, especially, you also have people who used to jump on as anonymous eggs and were real people. Now we're like... Now there's the constant accusation of them being bots. Yeah. So there's like yeah. this blurring of reality where we're not even sure who's real and who's a robot mm-hmm. in like what is a real like Skynet type dystopian idea of like what the internet even well, is. Well, it's the same thing like in dating apps and everything. It's just like, are you real or are you trying to get money from me? Like what... Like I don't know what your end goal is here, yeah. but it's, it's... I think it's, it's safe that the end, the end goal, regardless of the politics or regardless of anything, is almost always to get money in, yeah. so, in some form. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're corporations, uh, and and, uh, and the, 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 their their goal is to make profit, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. Uh, it would be uh, like really naive to think that no, doing that. And but 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 the bots, that's fascinating, no? Because in a way. It's a very optimistic uh, way of thinking of about people because maybe, you know, people are stupid sometimes. They're no bored. Give <laughs> <laughs> the space. That's my that's my guiding mantra in life. Just like no, people are dumb on average. It's just yeah. yeah. You know, maybe it's so bored. Maybe it's just someone who cannot even articulate a thought without. Uh, coherently you know there's a lot of, i know many people like that you know many with with uh, uh, with with, uh, with titles and degrees and so on so it's not even a, a question of uh, of uh, mental ability but it's a, it's a way they express themselves uh, i have a question we we mentioned our, our listener egg there's uh, one of our good friends meg you know reads all the books that we read and she mm-hmm. writes in and she kind of had a question and i'm wondering like i'm kind of going to rephrase her question a little bit but i think you said that you had originally written this in like 2015 yeah and then you know proverbially pulled it out of a desk drawer in 2018 when you had the conversation like if you were going to publish it like if it hadn't come out then or it hadn't come out when it came out and you were going to do it now would you like edit it or condense it or frame things differently now in a world where like, because in the novel, you know, he's not named by name, but like Trump gets reelected. Like, mm-hmm. would you have done things differently if you'd put it out now as opposed to when it came out? Or do you think it still would have wound up in about the same place? And oh. I know that's kind of a weird, like it's a hypothetical that like doesn't really, like it's hard to maybe pin down. But I'm just kind of curious if like, the way that the world has changed in the years since you published this, if that would have informed anything. I guess another way of asking this question is, is the book sort of married to the specific news cycle that that, that, it's, that it's talking about? Or like, does something like the uh, 
January 6th riots uh, interfere in, in, in how you interpret or present the information that you've done so? Well, uh, I hope he's not reelected, <laughs> but, but he's, <laughs> Who knows? he's been talking about trying to run again. Uh, but probably if I had to write this book today, I would, uh, I would probably talk about other things or maybe the war in uh, Ukraine, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the cost of living crisis in the UK. It, it, it is a lot. She told me it's a lot about things that happened in the 2015, 2016, 17th. Right. But I tried to create archetypes, you know, the archetypes uh, in, in a sense. I, that's why I don't name Trump. I say the president of the United States of America. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I talk about these like, kind of archetypal shitstorms and so on. Well, I think I think what's I think what's interesting, and I was we said this in the episode that we just recorded about the book itself, is that like the examples are specific enough that you can remember things, but they reached a point where I'm like, I don't know if this is a real thing that happened or just feels like it could have been real. Like there's so many things that flow through the news cycle that it's you know in the archetypes that you're creating, it feels like well, I don't know if this was real or not, but like it might as well be real, and it might have been something that we were all angry about for 48 hours until the next thing came along. Like I, for example, have no actual memory of cunt dough existing. <laughs> well, that's something <laughs> I regret to inform you that's real. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I remember that. I remember. All right, well, it is what it is. You yeah. know, <laughs> I regret to inform you. It's not the real name. <laughs> Performance but... artists have to make livings to like <laughs> Well, bakery is always a good career, uh, but. Um, the, all, all the all the shit songs, all the kind of events referenced, in the, with the exception of the, the terrorist attack in the Eurotunnel, hopefully it's not, mm-hmm. not going to happen. But all of them are all, all real events that are um, fictionalized in a way. Yeah, sure. I, 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 and, I use yeah. all of them. And even the things that, like you know, like the uh, performance artist Baker, uh, like you know, this year there was that woman on TikTok who went viral for like her pink sauce. That people were like, I need this pink sauce. And so she was just like a woman like on TikTok and she's like, all right, I guess I'm going to start a business now and then got in trouble immediately because like the quality control was so poor. So like even if it wasn't real, like it becomes real, like on a long enough timeline, all the insanity that you could ever imagine is going to happen on Twitter and people are going to be angry about it. So you need to have the ante, you know, it's, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. That, but yeah, that, that kanto is, um, I'm afraid it's, it's real. Yeah. There, there is a blog somewhere about that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I, I'll I, look it up. I'll look it up. Careful. One, one question that we ask. Actually, we have two questions because Bob's gonna have a question about the outro music that I don't want to forget. But one question we ask all the authors that we talk to is that if people read Shitstorm and they really like it, are there other books similar? Because you know, each season of the show is themed around a theme or like clumped around a theme, and this is the internet. Like, are there things that you have read you're familiar with? That if people read Shitstorm and really liked it, you would you would encourage people to go out and find. Or it doesn't even have to be about the internet, really. Like other things that you've read recently that you love, but just like you know, recommended reading. If you're building a little mini module around Shitstorm, what else would you encourage people to go read? Well, there is a book by a guy called Richard Simo, published in uh, 2019, which is called The Twittering Machine. And okay. It, and it's a it's a nonfiction book, but it's a really good analysis of all the. Of what what we've been talking about today. I mean, uh, it's it's a really good uh, book about all these uh, social media dynamics and the reward system and the dopamine rush, and and, and so on. And, and then um, there is a book called In the Swarm by a, it's a by a Korean. Um, he's called Byung Chan Hal In the Swarm, 
It's about digital life, and and um, and I highly recommend that book. Uh, I I don't read a lot of fiction, so uh, I kind of I'm sure there are books that deal with this in fiction. Yeah, no, there's the it doesn't have to be fiction. It can be you know I think nonfiction works. Well, I think that's what kind of what's exciting about like the time that we're in is that like this is all so reactive to like what's happening, both yeah. fiction and nonfiction. It's just like with people just trying to make sense of it. So this book the in the in the swan was published a year before Shitstorm and actually it uh, was an inspiration for it, you know, the, the analysis of uh, what we what we gain and what we lose on social media was really good. And and I think uh, the book is uh, a reaction to I don't know if you remember the this massive Shitstorm about a woman called Justine Sacco. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? She was canceled because she tweeted something completely crazy before she boarded a plane to to yeah. yeah it was it, it was it it's I'll, I'll repeat it but it was I something remember, like yeah. it was something like i'm in africa i hope i don't get aids or something yeah, 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 yeah. and now i hope it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i'm yeah. white but but i mean um that's right that's right i She's won't a, get it because i'm white exactly yes. yeah. but if you look at her t- t- uh, timeline it was clearly kind of this ironic mm-hmm. uh, joking of uh, of a white person who is aware of the problems of <laughs> of race, well, you know. But she's she's written about in uh, Mark Ronson's collection. Uh, so you've been publicly shamed. Okay, uh, that's the third one I was going to mention. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. That's a fantastic book as well. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, I did read it. I, I waited until I finished this one to read it because I didn't want it to influence my, my own writing. But it's uh, it's a great book. Yeah, in the in the discussion that we had um, about about your book, we talked about uh, Lindsay Stone, who's also someone who's who's brought up in that in the Mark Ronson book. I can't remember who she. Oh, she she did the uh, she had a photo taken of her giving the finger and shouting at the Arlington Cemetery. Oh yeah, uh, and then she lost her job helping disabled children and things like that. Even though she was, it's another thing where it was like she's clearly joking and like you know even if this is offensive to some people the reaction to her was like some people were like i'm gonna cut off your head and put it on a pike <laughs> and things like that and it's just like all right because she like yelled at a cemetery are we really but we are that's who we are yeah that's who many of us are so yeah it's fun yeah. it's uh it's crazy how things can get out of hand you know, I think that's also, and I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but, you know, being in the UK, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the whole Wagatha Christie trial. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Do you know about this, Bob? I haven't heard of it. So, like, there was this, like, uh, libel case. I'm not going to go into the details here because nobody needs to care. <laughs> but basically, it was, like, set up that, you know, she set up a, an Instagram account with her close friends being only this one other woman. And so only this one woman was seeing these, like you know stories or whatever and this woman was leaking them to the press like oh look at what she's doing and they proved that like this woman was like going out to like sully this other woman's name because she was like the only person who could possibly know these fake things yeah she was selling it to the press yeah they were like two the wives of two footballers i think yeah yeah and so it was this wild thing where it's just like it's a it's a sort of like a minor personal shitstorm of these like <laughs> celebrities by association, but then became actual news because there was like a million dollar, multi million dollar like court case based on Instagram close friend stories. I gotta say, Wagatha Christie is pretty good though. <laughs> uh, the, the the UK does puns yeah. uh, better than better than we do. Oh, they love it. They love it because yeah. Wags like wives and girlfriends of yeah, footballers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like. But I mean, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, Who Weekly, had been covering this for months because this was it was the wild. It was like the dumbest story, but like also fascinating <laughs> because like no one should care, but it was compelling because of like just how crazy it was. So you know, whatever. Yeah, that, that was a big big news here. I'm sorry, you also like, know about for, it for months. It was it was <laughs> yeah. it was ongoing for so long. 
No, but the ironic thing is that the woman who was accused is the one uh, who took the accuser to the libel uh, trial. Yeah. So she lost. It was like a really bad move. But anyway, it was the, it was the crazy. It was so dumb, but I loved it. They can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think she might she might like go into bankruptcy because like she got hit hard because like I think in the UK like if you lose the case yeah, like you yeah, have to pay libel. both you have to pay both sides. Yeah, yeah. She lost three million dollars or pounds. Sorry, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, um, I have okay. I have two questions left. One is on. one is about the book, and one is um, so I have been reading a lot of these books this semester with like a sort of strict Freudian uh, view of things, especially because a lot of in a lot of these books, shit seems to come up a lot, which mm-hmm. is like you know the anal trauma stage of 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 infants, and I think it I think it brings us back. I, I think this brings us back to the very beginning of this conversation where the distinction between the meat space and the and the cyberspace is like your guy, the the what what I'll call the main character of the book, if there is a main character of the book, the the hunter slash dentist, mm-hmm. like he does die a very physical material death. And I think this, this is also a return to you, what you were saying before about material conditions being uh, sort of uh, supplanted by identity um, things and stuff like that. But like, like he, he is uh, a human being who gets uh, dead at the end of the book and, mm-hmm. and his shit flows out of him and his pish flows out of him. And these are physical things that exist only in this world. And so, do you resist a Freudian interpretation of this, or or is it like like this idea of shit as uh, uh, the the wild losing control of things, and then like wait, okay, I'm losing it, I'm losing, I'm losing my thread here. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> does this make sense? No, do you, no, do you, no. Do you, can you piece together where I'm going? I know where you're going, and it, okay. it does make sense because I mean, yes, I, I mean. It's not a coincidence that the guy shits himself. You know, we, when right. we when we when we talk about someone dying in Argentina, we say "cagó fuego." He shot fire. You know, it's an expression. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> he shot fire. Cagó fuego. But uh, but also last year, someone asked me to write <laughs> an introduction about an anthology about poo. So I wrote an introduction about. Um, this anthology about poo, <laughs> which is, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I use a Freudian kind of uh, psychoanalytical approach to it, you know, because I think poo is central to the human experience. <laughs> it sure is. I mean, it's you know, it, it's it's one reason why we have a ton of food, for example. Yeah. Uh, so so there's that, and there, you know, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right. That's and and it's it's central to like the physical existence of, of humanity right it, it, is, it is absolutely it is a signifier for consumption and and uh consumption is life and defecation is death in, in a lot of ways so it's really like in a lot of ways the thing that actually centers us in the real physical world there's no way to get away from shitting no matter you can have as many blue checks as you want you can you can have as many retweets and as followers you are still a person that is going to shit absolutely the, i think the check should be brown on twitter <laughs> love it and I, I i do reject bob's uh, notion before that it doesn't exist in the other world because there's the poop emoji man even we can't escape <laughs> right. it there's still a poop emoji all right even fair. in the other world fair um and then the the fine well actually okay actually there's two questions one of which is counter to everything that we've talked about so far but we have this thing that that we've just started doing which is because this is like a oh, platform in yeah. which in which you can say anything that you want um the podcast or twitter or the the, the, the podcast yeah. and it can be used as a source 
Um, if you, I don't know if you have a Wikipedia page or didn't didn't look for your Wikipedia page. No, I don't have one. Uh, okay, well let's let's make you one, and then <laughs> um, you can say whatever you want here. It can be a lie. It can be radically untrue, and we will use our podcast as a source to put it on your Wikipedia page. Do you have anything that you'd like to lie about? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, you take me by surprise. <laughs> we could say... Uh, it took me, I forget that we do this too. Like this is a brand new segment that he came up with and I love it, but I'm also, I'm I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised every time he asks because I keep forgetting it. Well, can you put that I was born in Ulaanbaatar, which is a, can, a city in Mongolia, please. The capital sure. of Mongolia. Like, Absolutely. Like Chris Marker, the filmmaker, no? We can pretend I was sure. born. Sure, Chris Marker, wow. Ulaanbaatar. <laughs> is Chris Marker from there? He said he was, but he wasn't. Oh, he wasn't. Okay, <laughs> no. yeah. Well, sh- shout out to La Jete and, and uh, yeah. other brilliant Chris Marker films. Um, and then the final, the final question, which is uh, uh, just... Um, we have exit music on these things. Yeah. Uh, and do, do you have do you have any song that you that you'd like to be your your to see you out you can do one song or two songs we really got two episodes about you we got one about the book and we got this interview so either one song or two songs totally up to you oh uh wait give me a second there is a band i mean i think there is a good song called uncle injuries by uh uncle injuries yeah by fujiya miyagi i'm putting it on the on the chat there so you can see okay that's a good song to close beautiful i love it excellent because this is also a way for Bob to shirk his, like, one responsibility. Like, like he, 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 he picks what books we're reading, and then basically everything after that is me. And so when I'm editing an episode, I text him. I'm like, hey, what's a song? And this is a way that he has cleverly gotten out of having to do that, too. Yeah, I just so. get other people to do my work for me. Yeah. It's, it's, my, it's my move. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think that's it. Thank you so much for, for talking to us and for... Uh, uh, you know, uh, bringing us into this world of shitstorm. It was really uh, a pleasure uh, both to read and to talk to you about. It's been a pleasure to talk to you guys, and uh, and, uh, and and thanks for putting the book and reading it. it, it, it of course, it does make a difference, you know, to know that people are reading what you write. Yeah, we, we we hope we sure hope that it does. Excellent. 